I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you have. And a call that we get, a question we get, both on our show, that's always been so difficult for me to address, is when people want to know from me if it's a great idea for them to do solar at their home. And when you hear my answers to the questions people pose to me, they're really not clear answers. And that's from somebody who has been a very early adopter of solar, having done the first solar installation I did a couple of houses ago. And at the house we live at now, we have a solar farm. Instead of on the roof, we put we have a hillside, and we did a massive array on the hillside and generate enormous energy from it. And people will ask me absolutes. Well, am I really going to make back the money? How long is it going to take and all the rest? And the reality is my answers when you ask me those questions are so frustrating to you because it's really hard to answer that. I mean, it's really easy with what's called utility-scale solar, which is really the fastest-growing part of solar, where um, power providers build these massive uh, fields uh, of solar panels, and they're mega farms. And every year, the ones being built are larger than the year before, and nowhere is solar being installed more in the United States now at utility-scale in the state of Texas, where solar can generate power far, far cheaper, even with the drawback of what's known as intermittent power, where when the sun's not shining, the panels are just sitting there. The power is so cheap generated from the solar that the combination of solar and wind in Texas means year after year after year, people's power bills keep going down. It's a free market in Texas, and the market gravitates to wherever the cheapest source of power is, and it's solar and wind, especially solar these days. So then somebody asked me about their house, and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I love having it, but the payback term is really hard to calculate. And there was a wonderfully written long-form story on Wired from someone who went through uh, the the struggle. In fact, it's funny. I installed a solar power system in my house in an attempt at energy resilience. The constraints and the headaches were greater than I anticipated, and it goes through all the issues that were involved uh, first in figuring out the payback, the economics of doing so. And the reality is the cost of solar panels themselves have collapsed in recent years. I mean, they're like down nearly 90% from where they were 10 years ago. But installing solar at a home, the cost of the panel is only part of it. Because there's engineering studies involved in figuring out where to place them, building the, um, the supports that go on your specific roof, although some of the technologies have become more modular, more flexible, a lot of its labor with the installation, all that. So it's not a slam dunk 
but the math gets better and better over time. But it's more a mixture of art and science trying to figure out what your payback cycle will be. Of course, in, unless you really overpay for it, you're going to get a payback. It's just how quick. The second part of the whole puzzle is what's going to make solar compelling within the next three to four years. And that is the cost of batteries backing up the system or dropping, the cost of those batteries dropping so quickly and the efficiency of those batteries rising so fast that by 2023, 24, right in there, doing solar with battery in combination at a residence is going to be a no-brainer. And eventually the batteries are going to be cheap enough that people will be able to degrid. And essentially, like in the original Star Wars movie from, was that, 40 years ago, they'll be able to degrid and live with their own power plant at their own house. It's time for your questions that you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel take turns. And Kim, what you got? This is from Robert in Georgia. Robert says, I'm planning to buy a used electric vehicle within the next year. I'm an educator, so I need to be budget conscious. No Teslas for me. Does Team Clark have advice on getting the vehicle and battery checked out before purchase? I'm assuming a traditional mechanic shop won't be able to do it. Also, do you have any advice on what model year to buy? So the electric vehicle market And what you buy depends so much on how many miles you're driving per day. If you're driving a relatively small number of miles a day, then you can go way back in model years. Uh, You can even go back to the early generation Nissan Leafs like I did and producer Joel did. uh, Because those have virtually no value in the used marketplace and you can buy them for just a few thousand dollars. Then even if the battery croaks out after a while, ah well. But if you drive a more moderate number of miles per day, you want to look at an electric vehicle that uh, is maybe a 2015 to 2017 used vehicle purchase that will have heavily depreciated because the newer ones have batteries with much larger capacities, much longer range. And as far as having them checked out, in midsize and large metro areas, there are now places that specialize in electric vehicle sales and maintenance and repair. And that's who you would go to when you're looking at buying a used electric vehicle to have the battery checked out as best they can to see what the battery health is before you would make a purchase. Joel? Clark Brett in Kansas says, as online savings account interest rates continue to drop, I'm looking for other options for where to put my emergency fund. Is worthy bonds a good idea? They say that they pay a 5% interest rate and it's a safe place to put my money. Definitely not. So I know the interest rates on savings are brutal right now. I mean, the interest rates you can earn, the very best rates out there now are not even three-quarters of a point. That the main purpose of savings is to preserve the money 
So the event you need it, it's available. Any form of bond, uh, you have great risk because bond values are unstable. And a bond that's paying 5% is extremely unstable. So I know it's tempting to try to squeeze more money out of every dollar, but right now it's one of those times we just, as savers, have to suffer through getting a really lousy rate of interest. Kim? Nancy from North Carolina wants to know, how does Clark suggest we protect ourselves from the falling dollar? Wow. Wow. Okay. So uh, the dollar is losing value versus other currencies in the world. It means that the cost of imported goods is going to rise for us. It is a real positive in the short term for U.S.-based manufacturers in that it makes their goods more competitive selling overseas. But it does put us at a disadvantage as we shop because you think about how many of the things we buy are in fact imported. And so they will be uh, impacted first at the manufacturing level where manufacturers will have to decide if they're willing to accept a lower price for the things they're selling or instead if they're going to push through price increases that ultimately would flow to the importers or the wholesalers or the retailers. Everybody along the path is going to have to decide what they hit us for in the wallet as to what you and I as consumers can do, there's not a lot of things that we can do. It will impact Americans when we start traveling overseas again that trips will be more expensive for us. Uh, But otherwise, it's just one of those things that goes in cycles. And right now, the U.S. dollar is uh, becoming a 98-pound weakling, and that in turn affects us with our purchasing power. Joel? Clark Bradley in South Carolina says, I'll be part of a large company layoff this coming February. I'll be receiving a severance package of approximately five months of pay. I've never been to Europe, and I've been considering taking a two- to three-week trip to several countries in March in order to fulfill this lifelong dream. I plan on going solo. What's your opinion of, of traveling during this time with covid and best options for booking. Also, since I'll be traveling alone, how do you feel about European group tours? A number of very interesting questions. First, uh, it's very generous severance you're being offered. Second, it's really neat in a bad situation that you know so far ahead of time that your job is not going to exist anymore. As far as planning out that in March you're going to go to Europe, That's not realistic at this point because we don't know if travel to Europe is even going to be permitted when you look at March. Tours would not book any tour right now because the tour industry has been in terrible financial trouble. A lot of people have paid deposits to tour operators. The tour operators have gone bust. What I'd rather see you do is look at taking your European adventure later in the year when we know that travel is permitted, you book more closely to that time. And instead of booking tours, you book something known as hostits, where 
when you get to a city, you have access to local tours and tour guides that can help you. And if you get on TripAdvisor, you can learn more about the, how that works in different cities you want to visit. But for right now, I would hold off on making those kind of plans because we just don't know when we're going to have an all clear on travel to Europe or other spots overseas. Kim? Bob in Virginia wants to know, I'd like to get a fixed rate credit card. I'm willing to pay almost 10% interest. And I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for a great bank or credit union that offers such rates. I have a really good FICO score at around 822. A fantastic FICO score. It is very rare for any credit card issuer to offer fixed rate cards anymore. They will offer fixed rates on balance transfers as offers, but as a general rule, no more fixed rates. If you're going to find any at all, they're going to be with local credit unions. As you drive around, you see the names of credit unions. Go on their websites and see if they're offering fixed rate cards, but otherwise, keep your eyes open for balance transfer because that's where you do get the fixed rate typically for the life of the balance you transfer or for a set number of months, usually 12 or 18. Susie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Susie, you love the RV life. Is that true? You know, my my family has a property in the mountains, and so we did buy an RV to park up there about a year ago. Okay, wait, that is brilliant. So instead of going through the whole process of building on that mountain property, you have an RV that's your transportation to it and your living quarters when you're at it? You know what? It's just actually, it's called a park model. So it's parked there and it stays there. So we drive our car back and forth. Okay. All right. Well, um, still not going through having to build a property. I'm always for that. <laughs> I, yes, I we built are too. A property it works great once. for us. You park it, and it's ready to go. Yeah, I love that. Well, how can I be of service to you, Susie? Well, thank you so much for taking my call. So we bought this a year ago in December, and we owe, we've been paying on it for a year, and we owe $23,000. And the other day I made an extra payment on it of $1,000. Then I saw how much interest they took, and I was like, wait a minute. Why are we paying all this interest on this? Because in our online savings account, we have about $45,000. And I thought, let's ask Clark, should we just pay this thing off and stop paying interest, which is something I do not like to pay. So how much is the interest rate on the RV loan? You know what? It's 5.13%, but they're taking more out now. You know how they take the interest at the beginning. Yeah. So, um, and on your savings did- account, you're earning... Point five. Yes. All right. So, how secure is your employment? We both, my husband and I, um, have a great security. Okay. So, because you'd be taking your, if I uh, if I heard all the numbers right, you'd be taking your rainy day funds from forty five thousand temporarily down to twenty two. Yes. Since since your employment's really secure, do it pay off that loan, be done with it, because you're paying a five-point spread approximately between what you're paying in interest and what you're earning on your savings. 
And so I would pay out that 23000 be debt-free on that RV, and then every month what you were paying towards the RV, you use it to replenish the money in your savings account. And, All right. Sounds like a great plan. Thank then, you very much. Then you own that RV tomorrow. Just make sure that, Susie, in your loan, there's not a prepayment penalty. Um, I Hopefully there's not, but there is a prepayment penalty. It makes the payoff a little more expensive than it would be. Otherwise, you may have the option of prepaying an enormous amount of the loan and leaving a little bit open till the prepayment penalty window closes. That's where you get punished for paying off a loan early, and you'd have to check your loan documents to see if there is, in fact, a prepayment penalty in it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites are Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. I've had... Just so many questions as home prices have reached a point where, for a lot of people, they just can't pull it off buying a home about various rent-to-own things. And anytime somebody asks me about a rent-to-own for a home, I become terrified for them because almost never does it work out for the renter. In a classic rent-to-own, you pay market rate, in theory, for renting the place, and then you pay an extra amount of money, which is essentially your option money, for having the opportunity to buy the home at a set date at an already agreed-to price. And that money, depending on the rent-to-own deal you do, becomes part of your down payment if you get the deal done in the contractual period, which depending on the deal you sign is typically one to three years. Well, there's been an innovator in this business that's been on my radar for a while called Divvy, D-I-V-V-Y, that has steadily expanded the number of cities they're in in the United States. And Divi has been around three years and almost immediately came on my radar when we got a question from someone, a caller from Ohio, who was having a problem with the home that they were renting from Divi with the option to purchase. 
and we had a number of conversations on the radio side with Divi. I did a TV story about Divi. We had uh, questions for them about their contract, and they actually ended up changing their contract after uh, we had a number of discussions with them about things in their contract that we didn't feel were fair because they were their whole thing was we're the good guys here. Well, I just read a New York Times update on what's going on with Divi that now has steadily increased cities and plans to add a lot more. And it still is a really mixed picture that there are people who have rented a home with the option to purchase with Divi and they're thrilled with how it's worked out. Others who feel like it didn't work out for them at all. But one of the issues that came up with us back in 2017 and still seems to be a concern if you do go the Divi route in one of the cities that Divi is now available is if there's something wrong with the home, getting Divi to fix it, which was the issue then, remains the issue now according to what people are saying who have attempted to do the rent-to-purchase thing with Divi. The good news is that if you're able to jump through all the hoops, it gives you an opportunity to buy a home at an already agreed-to price that you would not have been able to get done before. And what I would say to you is be very, very careful with the home you pick out and the condition it's in because the real problem seemed to have happened when people pick out a home that is not in good shape and you're both renting something you don't own and could be having problems with the home that you, after not being able to get Divi apparently to fix it, you're then having to spend your own money to fix a place that's not yours and may not ever end up being owned by you. So the condition of the home that you move into is very, very key up front. And I do have the sense from the conversations that we had with Divi that they are trying to do rent-to-own in a good way. And it's an area that so many people have been ripped off in. And I hope they really deal with the problems they've had and continue with this good intention of making it possible for people who otherwise would be renters who want to own a home to be able to buy one. It's just be very, very aware that the big problem has been getting things that are a problem taken care of, and that's why picking out the right property up front seems to be the key divider who has a good experience and who doesn't. It's time for your questions. You posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel taking turns. And it's Joel's turn, right? That's, that's right, Clark. Yeah. I finally did it right. <laughs> Lance in Texas has a question. He says, my daughter graduated from college approximately five years ago. She took federal, not private, student loans in order to help pay for expenses. My best estimate is that she accrued approximately $20,000 in loans. She has not addressed these loans, and my assumption 
is that they have about a 5% interest rate, bringing the outstanding amount to just under $26,000. What advice would you give her on how to address this? She does not have a a great paying job. Uh, She gets by with gig work and minimum wage jobs. So does she hold out for some sort of forgiveness program? Should she attempt to get current or contact them in order to establish a plan based on income? What do we do? The last two things you said are actually the key here is first to contact the U.S. Department of Education or the servicer for the loans and try to come current with the loans. At the same time, you want to go into an income-based repayment option. And don't just rely and depend on what you're told. Spend a lot of time at the Education Department website, ed.gov and ed.gov, and really understand what your income-based repayment options are. And I'm referring to your daughter doing this, not you. So since she's doing gig work and part-time work, income's quite low. The ironic thing under income-based repayment options, in many cases, she'll be considered to be current even if the formula says She doesn't have to make a payment that month based on her income. With income-based repayment programs, depending on the type of work, there are various forms of loan forgiveness after a certain number of payments that are on-time payments. The shortest cycle is for people in public service or nonprofit work, police officers, firefighters, that kind of thing, teachers, where loan forgiveness in theory, is supposed to happen after 10 years. For other workers in income-based repayment plans, it's 20 to 25 years. But if you continue to earn a very low income, it's possible that you'd uh, have to make minimal payments over decades and then have the remainder of the loan balance forgiven. Most important thing is to get in uh, a current status and transition into income-based repayment. Kim? Nancy in California says, on an earlier show, Clark mentioned buying tips, T-I-P-S, tips. We're in our 60s, so we would like to know if a tips mutual fund would be a good choice for us, given our age. Treasury inflation-protected securities. Um, So tips, uh, I'm in a tips fund. I also own Series I savings bonds. Both are options. The Series I savings bonds, you can put in up to $10,000 a year per person. You get a base rate, and then you get the rate of inflation. Uh, As people are worried about the potential for inflation in the United States, it is a bet on that. If there is continued very low inflation, you'd still get the base rate. The base rate is set based on when you buy Series I savings bonds, the inflation adjustment is reset every six months. And you can learn about those at savingsbonds.gov. All the big mutual fund houses, but you want to look at the low cost, particularly Vanguard, offer uh, TIPS funds, and they are commission-free, very low management expenses, and you're in a fund that is very oriented towards inflation as a way to protect yourself long term. It's not an all-in kind of thing. It is one part of a financial strategy.
Joel. Clark Jim in Texas says most family cell phone plans have a sweet spot of four users in order to get the lowest price. Do you have any advice for larger families? We're a family of six and we'd like to keep our costs down as much as possible. What a wonderful question. So depending on the cell phone carrier, they may continue to discount beyond four. Uh, T-Mobile has always done that where they offer plans where you can go in many cases to six or 12 people and still get uh, very large group discounts. And then some of the smaller players in the cell phone market offer the equivalent of family plans that expand well beyond four or at least to six people where you still get a really good deal on your cell phone plan. And so I'd like you to start at our cell phone plan guide at clark.com and look at the family plan options and then see which ones allow you to expand beyond four people where you continue to get very low rates beyond the first four. Um, You're right. Several of them, like the incredible plan from Visible, cap at four people. But four people get unlimited everything at 25 bucks a month each, and they're individually billed. You just got to find four people. So there's a lot of variety in options with the uh, multiple people plans that become really cheap at four. But some of them do, in fact, go beyond that to offer you the ability to keep saving money, even with larger numbers. Kim? Ebony in Georgia says, how can an HOA community get rid of the HOA property management company? We want to get a new one. We're paying $150 with no amenities except for lawn service, and they're really not even doing that well. We're not receiving itemized accounting of how the money is spent, and we just feel like we need to change. Wow. Okay. So your HOA has, uh, uh, hopefully, a uh, elected board that is active that board is free to fire the management company pretty much at will it would be very rare with a condo association or with a homeowners association that the management company has a long-term contract at the most they're year to year but usually they're not even that so if you're not involved in the board You want to find out uh, when the next board election is, organize people if the board is sleeping through this, and get involved, run yourself, and fix this problem. Because the management organization that is contracted with that homeowners association, they only have the power that's granted by the HOA board. And so it's the board that has to make sure that the money is being well spent, and that the services you're paying for are actually being delivered. Kevin's with us on the Clark Howard Show, and Kevin, you've got somebody who's going to be a college freshman next fall. Yeah, this is true. Hello, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. And we're savvy with our money, and I know how to navigate investing and mutual funds and indexes and so on, but I'm having trouble finding um, a, a somebody to offer advice on how to navigate the strategies and paying since we've got a couple of different buckets of money. 
So you are going to self-fund your son's college education. There's not going to be any loans involved. Um, it's going to be funds that you have, over the years, you've been able to put aside. Do you have any 529 accounts? Yeah, we do have 529 accounts, and I just need, I, I would love to have some somebody who digs into this all the time because we have another son two years behind. Uh, we have 529 accounts, and we are open to taking loans. Would prefer not to, but if if it's, if it's something where we need to take a little bit of loans, um, do we take some out of our, our cash savings? I just need to kind of have a plan, and, I'm, and, and I'd love to sit and talk with somebody about it. All right. So uh, one thing, you're now allowed to borrow up to $10,000 for college over the course of a degree and use 529 funds to pay off that loan. So that's, Great. that's designed as a way of somebody who doesn't really know exactly where the money's going to come from for college. It gives you more flexibility to be able to borrow a small amount under the federal student loan program each year. And then at the end of a degree program, if you've got the money in the 529, you can use it to kill off the loan, which gives the added flexibility. But yes. the answer to your question is there's an organization called Garrett Planning Network. And with okay. Garrett Planning Network, there are financial advisors that work the more traditional way where they manage your assets for you and you pay them a percent of the assets. And then there's also a service that people, some of the Garrett Planning people offer. We just pay them an hourly rate like you would to a lawyer or an accountant. And you pay him or her for his or her expertise to answer these questions for you. You've been doing this good job saving money in different buckets, and you just don't know what the appropriate strategy is to pay for each child's college education. That would get you to what you're trying to do. A Garrett planning person is a fiduciary, meaning they legally are bound to do only what's best for you and the advice they give you. And I would go to GarrettPlanningNetwork.com, uh, see who's available near you, although today you might just be Zooming with somebody anyway, find out sure. what they charge, and I think you'll get those answers you're looking for. Thank you. That fee-based advisor sounds great. I know they're available for traditional retirement plans. I didn't know they're available for college planning, so thank you very much. Actually, what you, what you would be getting is more than you're asking for, interestingly okay. enough. Because since you've got money in these different buckets, it's it's wider than just, hey, how do we pay for each kid's college education? It's more, um, what's the most efficient way to do that? And what other things are you doing with your money that maybe would be things you should look at as well? Don't look at it solely from the college question when you got that meter running. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.